Ava, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I am very rested. Uh, so I had a very, very, very good nap. Glad to hear it. It's all good. It's all good. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, same or same with, with work and not much to report, to be honest. Um, it's It's been a slightly sad uh, week for me, simply because a lot of friends have had family members, um, relatives uh, bereaved as a result of uh, illness yes. and just doing our best to support them in, in, in those instances. Uh, but yeah, for, for me at home, another day on lockdown or another week on lockdown, it's kind of been business as usual. I feel like we need to get some chalk and start like etching the number of days on the wall somewhere just to keep record because I feel like time is just slipping by. It's pretty much February already. Incredible. One of your great strengths is that you are a man of habit. And I was speaking to a young girl recently trying to encourage her to develop better habits during this time period, largely because she wasn't motivated to do anything. I tried to help her to understand that you're not alone in this and first do not condemn yourself in this straight away because it's very easy having gone through two lockdowns, having now entered into university and lost the the structure that um, compulsory education gave you to feel as if things are just meaningless and you not Mm. doing anything has actual no impact long term. However, that is a lie. (laughs) Do not do not succumb to that lie. Absolutely. So it's, it's, it raised that there are many people who, during this time period, have almost lost their balance. And it's, it's integral that they find it again, um, even if they do not see the benefits of finding that routine and a more a regimented life straight away. You're right. And there is a, I think it's a TED Talk or a... Um, so definitely a YouTube video, and it's this Army, U.S. Army Admiral, or not, mm. I think he's a U.S. Army General, or okay. either an, or a Navy Admiral, and he talks about why he makes his bed in the morning. Yes. Um, and I can't recommend it enough. It sounds like the most mundane discussion, but why do I make my bed every morning? Like, what is the... Um, what is the reasoning behind it? And he goes through so many reasonings, but one of the, the strongest is regardless of what happens for the rest of the day, you have at least one win. Yes. You have at least one success that you can say, I've done this. And I think counting your wins, counting your successes on a daily basis is something which is really valuable. Whether you share it with others or whether you keep it to yourself, I think it's very important to start your day and think what, what successes can I have today? And if you've got a routine, going for a jog, doing some exercise, doing your affirmations, making your bed, then these are all counted as wins. Calling a friend, and they may not seem like it, but they have a really positive effect on your psyche and on your mental state. Yes. I think we need to appreciate that we are psychological beings. A lot more. We we downplay that factor of psychology in performance. And then the more I review it, the more I realise that psych, the psychological state, the mind state, is integral to output and to the way we feel about ourselves. And you're right. We need to celebrate our wins. Um, I was listening to a sermon yesterday where the individual actually challenged us to, in part, it wasn't the whole nature of this, the sermon, to celebrate for as long as we've gone through the trial or trauma because the trial or trauma may have lasted six months or six years but our celebration lasts six minutes and Tell there is a <laughs> and if you can resonate with that i think you would immediately understand that there's there's something wrong in that although we do it it really shouldn't be that way so it's, it's a personal challenge to me so you know what let me let me celebrate almost as long as I endured that pain or let the celebration be to the magnitude of that trial 
Yeah, and I, I think one of the issues with that is just the nature of us as human beings in that we very much care more about the journey than we do about the destination. And when we've, received, when we've reached the destination, we're considering what our next journey is going to be almost immediately. Um, I was listening to a uh, talk a few days ago and it was talking about the fact that, you know, postgraduate PhD students um, go from one day being incredibly um, high achieving members of academia, graduating, and then the next day they are homeless bums <laughs> or jobless bums. That was it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a great example of how our minds are almost constructed to, in a good way, I think. I think it's a positive because it, it forces us to always consider progression. Yes. Um, and I think the one thing that I need to do better, which I do terribly, is celebrate the little wins during the journey. Those milestones, those checkpoints along the way, and yeah, just appreciating them, taking a step back. And if you're struggling, finding people who will force you to do it. Absolutely. Because I know that that's something that we do not do naturally because we're continually swimming. Even though we've hit dry land, we're still swimming. <laughs> um, but it's important to surround yourself with people who want to celebrate within reason you and life so that we can smell the roses in the rain. <laughs> I don't know if you're convincing yourself or convincing the listeners, but you're, you're right either way. Well, this is us. Abby, who are we? We are Expensive Lessons. We are a podcast or we're a collection of individuals who deliver a podcast where we talk to you our listeners, our faithful listeners, about the lessons that we've learned along the way. And more recently, I think we've moved away from talking about direct business principles, which we are going to get back to. We've got some great guests lined up for February. But we're spending some time talking about characteristics and qualities which make effective individuals, which is absolutely paramount to being effective in business. Yes. There are many people that I work with, many people that I speak to about starting a business, who I mentor and talk to them about their, their idea. And ultimately, a lot of the issues that they face aren't to do with the quality of their value proposition or the robustness of their finances. It's actually more about the character that they possess. And I don't mean this in a negative way, but there are certain characteristics that will really help somebody thrive in a business environment. And I'm starting to refer to them as superpowers. And that's what this series is all about. We're just delving into what superpowers you can possess in the 21st century. Things that have actually been lost thanks to the world becoming a lot more convenient we're having Wikipedia and Google at our fingertips and we have social media, which means that we don't actually have to verbally communicate as much. But as much as these tools are helping us become more efficient, they're actually taking something away from us. They're taking age-old superpowers away from us as human beings. And this section, this series that we're looking into now is talking about how we can actually reintroduce some of those superpowers and make sure that they are as effective in individuals as possible. Yes. Last week, we spoke about communication. And specifically, we talked about techniques for handling people, which I think was really interesting. And um, yeah, we could have ended up spending probably another hour talking about that specific instance. But Afalabi, what are we going to be talking about today? Today we're thinking about <clears throat> how we interact with others and the fact that, unfortunately, if we are going to be effective, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say unfortunately, it's, it's 
a positive. If we are going to be effective in our relationships, people are going to have to like us, whether we like it or not. The archetype of the high-flying career or business individual who is actually quite offensive or annoying or um, just rude isn't effective. And you might see that Mm. in Hollywood films, but in reality, those people are rare. So if you've ever come across an individual who you feel, wow, they just seem to have it all, Um, the career, the business, and they just seem to be a wonderful person. They're a great listener. They seem to have a great family life. Look below and try to identify what the common denominators are. So in this week's episode, we're really delving into, again, focusing on Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, the six ways to make people like you. And again, to preface this, this might sound a bit corny, and some people might feel as if, well, I don't need people to like me. I would humbly argue that we all do if we are going to influence others and if we are going to lead, irrespective of whether we are homemakers or CEOs. For people to buy into our vision and our plan, our product, our service, they must like us. And at some point in our lives, we have bought into something because of someone and not necessarily that thing. Before we enter it, I I do want to go back a little bit and just buttress what Abby was speaking about in terms of communication. Um, In the 21st century, ironically, even though we are all connected by social media, COVID has proven to us that that level of connection is not good enough. Within a year, we saw a shift of everyone being connected to everyone feeling isolated. Exactly the same um, tools were being used, but the flaws, the cracks within those tools were exposed when we were locked down into our homes. So this is just to reiterate that what we're about to discuss is crucial because when we do step out into the new normal and we're able to interact again properly, how you make other people feel is going to be critical to your own progress and your own happiness. You're absolutely right. And I want to reiterate a couple of points there that you you shared. I think the first one is just around the the controversial title, Six Ways to Make People Like You. And I think now in the 21st century, we have this kind of independent lone wolf mentality, which is kind of, I am the way I am. And if you don't like it, get over it. Now, I think the issue with that is that life is about relationships. And you know, the archetype of the ruthless CEO who gets to the top being a boss and, you know, doesn't have anybody supporting them and still manages, it's not real, it's fake. I mean, all you need to do is have a look around to see the types of people who lead the organizations that you work with. They're not, they may not be people that you like, but they're people who have a lot of support and encouragement from their first line and from the people around them. And the people who do have a mean streak, who do on occasion exhibit ruthless characteristics, they don't last very long. And I can say that uh, with my own experience that I've seen many people step into positions of leadership, identify that they weren't able to handle it, became pretty ruthless individuals and as a result, their team just didn't, didn't buy into them. And when you are at a high level of seniority, your results aren't your own. The results that you'll be measured on are the results of your team. So if they don't like you enough to actually deliver, then your results are going to be poor. And the idea that people work better from a position of fear as opposed to a position of uh, respect Uh, it's not true. You work better when you respect your superiors, not when you fear them. Yes. Um, And we could do a whole podcast about that. It's a really interesting discussion point. Um, The other thing that I want to mention very briefly about the title is, and I don't know whether this is the case for Dale Carnegie, because obviously this is a classic book, but many first-time authors don't actually get to... 
make up their own titles or make up their own um, chapter headings. This is all done by the publishers to make the book as attractive or as controversial as possible so that people pick it up and read it. Um, so six ways to make people like you could have also been six ways to encourage people to engage or six ways to develop positive relationships. And I think if it was six ways to develop positive relationships, we probably wouldn't be that concerned with the title. But maybe it wouldn't be controversial enough to make us pick it up and read. Yes. Step one. Now I'm going to start with a question. Um, in our daily lives, how often do we feel we use the word I? Now, if we reflect upon that, we might come to the realization that I is actually one of the most, if not the most commonly used words in the English language. When translated into the thousands of other languages across the globe, the same statistic is also present. People consciously, subconsciously, talk about themselves and what they are doing continually throughout each day, which is understandable in that our priority, fundamentally silly, is ourselves and how we are doing, which isn't a bad thing. However, if I'm having a conversation with you and I'm constantly speaking only about what I'm doing and my agenda and my priorities and how this has to happen at my timing and on my terms, eventually you might realize that I am not valuing you as a person. Now, I think we've all had an instance where we've come across someone like that who is very clear in the interaction, in the business exchange, in the first conversation, that it's solely about their agenda. So the first step, the first way, is being genuinely interested in other people. Now, again, many of the steps which Dale Carnegie outlines here are not groundbreaking in terms of people haven't heard them before. People have, but they are groundbreaking in terms of, unfortunately, most of us do not apply them. And I, I speak opening about myself here. And the first occasion when I came across this book was over five years ago. And it forced me to actually reflect upon conversations. And for me, it forced me to reflect upon the instances where I want to button and say what I want to say. Not rudely, but, oh, an idea has just come about and I want to share it with that person. I think it'll be really good to them. I, 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 and actually pause and listen and think, actually, this person might want to say more and just being listened to would be of great value to them. So let me actually show interest in what they're doing and to parrot that to them for clarification of understanding. Okay, I'm hearing you here and I know they're extremely agitated and annoyed at what I have done. But am I hearing this correct? Is this what you mean? In another conversation, actually recalling memories, recalling what that person actually told you, recalling that person's daughter's name, recalling that interest that they were going to participate in on the weekend, recalling the thing which they found most annoying or most interesting about that event that you both had to attend, showing that you're actually placing value upon their eye because everyone values their own eye but how many people value other people's Abby just listening to you and kind of maybe taking a step back I can understand why people might look at this as being almost manipulative in a sense it's like you're using information that you've gathered from somebody in order to develop a sense of intimacy with them um but one of the things that you said last week which i think is key is that this is not this is not about kind of gaming the system this is about actively becoming a better person yes we all know how it feels to be listened to and how it feels for people to recall information about us you know it makes us feel special and why not 
why not provide that same feeling to other people around you? And then the other reason why I think it's important to be interested in people is because simply people are interesting. Mm. Now, once again, that, that isn't a groundbreaking statement, but pe- it's incredible how interesting people are when you start to peel below the surface. Most people you interact with on a day-to-day basis are so interesting you can barely stand it. What they've been through in their life, the story of how they've even found themselves in this country, the challenges that they've had with health and the, the aspirations that they have, you know, the, the, the issues that they're dealing with with their kids and they've got one kid who's a high flyer who's fantastic and the other kid who's a delinquent. And I'm just giving you examples of how interesting people are if you actually just scratch beneath the surface. People who, you know, in their home country were doctors or a lawyer and have come into to this country to work as cleaners so that their children can have a better life. These are the types of conversations that I've had and almost had my jaw wide open to find out that this unassuming person that I've stared at for weeks or if not months or if not years had a whole life, a life just as interesting, just as full of idiosyncrasies and complications and emotions as mine, if not more so. And all I needed to do to access this information is ask the right questions. And I think if we go into it, if we go into these discussions, assuming that the people that we're speaking to are just damn interesting, then we can pull out some really useful bits of information that would just astound us and entertain us and encourage us. And the other element of that is just wisdom. I know so much useless information, and I won't even say it's just this wisdom. I know so much useless information. I'm trying to think about kind of the types of random pieces of information that I pick up on a day-to-day basis. I'll have some by the end of this episode, but a lot of it is just as a result of conversations with interesting people. And I think that it's absolutely vital that we have these conversations because it helps us to to develop um, a sense of self, if life is about relationships, then who we are is within the context of other people. And understanding how we are, you know, how our lives exist or how our lives work with respect to other people helps us put it into perspective. You know, some people think that their lives are hard. But if we have more conversations with people around us, then we can fully put the difficulties in our lives in context. It may be actually true that our lives are super difficult compared to others, um, but the opposite also might be true. So yeah, I, I, I just want to encourage people not to just look at this as some sort of game, but really to, to delve into what it means to be interested in others and why it's valuable. It's valuable because you will be um, appreciated for actually taking the time to delve below the surface with other people. Yes. Also, you will appreciate it. Doing this genuinely, as Abby's mentioning, is the key. And if you're interested in this, I will urge you to listen to uh, Chamanda Adichie's The Power of the Single Story, her TED Talk, because it reiterates the idea of everyone having a story and the importance of them being able to convey their story, their narrative themselves. Otherwise, your depiction of them will be crystallized and will marginalize a truth, which will improve not only your life, but their life as well. And there there are so many quotes about stories and how we, we are all burning to actually share our story. And a life lived without the ability to share our story isn't a life worth living. And almost on a practical standpoint, I remember when going into the the world of entrepreneurship and delving into an industry which was so beyond my own understanding, I was fueled by Maya Angelou's, like people will forget your name, will forget what you look like, but they'll never forget the way you make them feel. So that showed genuine interest in them by listening. By allowing them to speak about themselves. 
That's absolutely key. People will forget what you look like, but they won't forget how you made them feel. And it's not always possible, but I think going into every interaction, trying to get the most out of that interaction, I think is valuable. Because what it also shows people is that you're present. You're there. You're not somewhere else. Your mind is focused on the point at hand. And we've spoken about the value of having great communication in the past. But having a a really um, exhilarating back and forth with someone, I don't think there's much. I don't think there's much that, that matches that in life, really. That's why, that's why people fall in love. People don't just fall in love because of the way someone looks. They fall in love because of the intellectual or emotional interactions that they have with others. So that same wiring, that same process applied into your day-to-day life is super important. Yes. Step two. Now, in the spirit of not condemning, I'm coming for, no, I'm joking. I'm, um, <laughs> I'm speaking to my pouters out there. You know, the Instagram posse. Those of you who take 500 pictures and post two, and you've mastered your look. Step two, according to Dale Carnegie, is very simple. Smile. And again, this will seem very unassuming and just not groundbreaking. We have all been there where someone has broken us internally, but we've still kept that cold hysteria by smiling at us because they penetrated something within us which forced us to respond and to slightly shift our state. We've all seen the power of a smile from a child and how that child's smile can make the most hardened individual smile. We've all seen the ability of someone who has mastered smiling, just changing the atmosphere within a room and people no longer moaning or bitching or complaining because that person has come in and they're smiling. And thus it, it feels inhuman to continue with that negative atmosphere that was currently being perpetuated. At a young age, I remember being told, I hope this is statistically true, but as an educator, I do know that there are many things that children are taught which are not actually true, <laughs> that <laughs> it, there are fewer muscles being exerted in smiling than frowning. Now, this may have just been one of those poetic things which was said to young children. However, the, the rhetoric and the message behind it is true, which is, It costs us less to show our inner joy and happiness than showing our inner sorrow. What I mean by costs us less, if I share my joy or happiness or just ability to show love to someone else, I am paying for that to be reciprocated and I'm sowing happiness in someone else. If I did the reverse, and paid for um, anguish or sorrow or disgust or frustration or, or any of those negative emotions in someone else, what I'm going to reap is unfortunately what we see in many inner city London, um, in many inner cities, where you have young people who end up getting into altercation because of a look. He looked at me this way. Why are you looking at me that way? And whilst that isn't the final seed or the the, 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 the catalyst, it is a, a crucial nugget to leading to people paying for things which they later on regret. So smile. I, I haven't got much to add to this. I would say we have a podcast which is listened to predominantly by women. So the irony of two men... <laughs> saying to mostly women, just smile, hasn't been lost on me. Um, But what I would say is that there are many instances where I've left an interaction with someone thinking, oh, that was a really nice person. And then when I reflected on that engagement, the only thing I actually remember was that they smiled, and that they were a smiley person, or that they were really humorous. 
you were able to find the humor in things. So for me, that goes a long way. I think that's all I'll say there is that it's not something that everybody's going to do. It's not something that everybody wants to do. But whenever I step into a new space, I always try to at least have a positive outlook and a positive demeanor. And it seems to get me a get get me far further than than if I was miserable. So, yeah, I'm grateful for that that pearl of wisdom because it's done me a lot of good. Many of us struggle with it because we're keeping it real. But as a wise man once said to me, keeping it real will keep you broke. So, but many people are <laughs> keeping it real and they struggle with the idea of smiling. However, we've all seen the negative results of not smiling, especially when you're dealing with customer service. You, you've been there where someone hasn't smiled and they're either being served or serving and what occurs isn't what that person would have wanted to occur. It just didn't seem worth it. Step three. Now, to, to preface this one, um, my pastor's wife is incredible at this. And you're right, Abby, it definitely is a superpower because it's something which I wish I could do a lot better and something which I've become a lot more intentional about doing. And it because it doesn't come naturally to me, I practice it. So in the process of actually meeting someone and hearing it, whilst listening to them, I'm recalling this information over and over again. Because I know that as an educator, you know, if I can use a new bit of knowledge in three different separate instances, I'm more likely to remember it. Step three, Dale Carnegie. Remember that a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. Have you imagined this is? Well, I think we put a lot on our names. Our names are our legacy. They are going to be the thing that we leave behind. But they are also the they are the distillation of who we are. Now that might sound quite philosophical or theoretical, but by mentioning somebody's name you're drawing on the essence of the person. If I was to say your name to somebody else, feelings would flood through the individual, reminding them who that person is and what they're all about. So your name is is your identification. It's your personality in a couple of syllables. So the reason why we value it so much is because it's the, the... most condensed version of us Mm. and when it's being used in vain for instance if somebody i think the americans say you know someone's been called out of their name for instance um it's not just a slight on the name it's a slight on our entire person and when people are praised when our name is praised it's once again not just a uh, an encouragement or an exhortation of the name it's an exhortation of the entire person so so people put a lot of emphasis on their name for 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 that reason yes i remember looking back going back a decade being very green and i'm probably still very green um in some contexts and just that young whippersnapper, enthusiastic, doesn't know a thing, but he's in the he's in the room, and being surrounded by superiors, and my name being mentioned, and my instance where my name was not mentioned, and not being mentioned for praise, but just my name being mentioned when I'm new, and what that showed me was that person knows who I am, I know who they are, I should know who they are, I know their status. This is talking about titles. When we get to leadership, we can start thinking about different positions of leadership. But I know their title. I know their status. But they know who I am. And I have no status right now. And I, I remember the, the feeling that they, that gave me. And thus, now being on the other side, now being that person, being in, in senior leadership, I know the power of actually calling that 20-year-old by name or mentioning that 20-year-old's name 
because I know that that 20-year-old is going to think, so he remembers. We only interacted once, or actually, we've never met before, but he knows who I am. Now, again, this could sound extremely manipulative, but it boils down to the fact that as human beings, oftentimes we can not feel worthy. We can have low self-esteem. So if someone who has a, a, a position of influence and power is showing that that individual is of value, it immediately helps that person to see that they are, they're meant to be in the room, that their views, that their, their, their very being, their character is going to be respected. And that in itself is priceless. So the, the power of the name is, is, is something which cannot be overstated. I've, I've seen in recent times, like in the last two weeks, instances where people said, that person just mis misspelled my name. And it was just part of the conversation and they moved on. And whenever I hear things like that, which I do maybe like once a month, something to do with someone's name, it just reiterates that what we neglect is actually far more significant to all of us. We all care about our name because as Abby mentioned, it's the distillation of our very being. And if someone ignores it, if someone neglects it, if someone forgets it, which can happen, and be honest, when that happens, it's, you know, it's, so we met before, was your name Edward? Or was it John? <laughs> no, oh, Martin. Thank you, Martin. You know, I'm really working hard right now to try to remember names, but, you know, there's like 400 people for me to learn. Um, how are you? Like, have that open conversation that you're trying to remember names because it will be of value to that person. No great credit to you. So I'm like you in that remembering names can be quite difficult, but I remember conversations. Um, so what, what you're demonstrating by remembering someone's name or mentioning someone's name in the discussion is that you're present and that this is a unique interaction. And I think that's absolutely key because many people can have cooker cutter conversations where mm. if you're networking, for instance, you have the same conversation 20 times. Mm. How, how about these sandwiches? Oh, do you think the speaker was good? Oh, I thought they were good, but, you know, I think they could have spent more time talking about X, Y, and Z. Oh, what do you work? Et cetera, et cetera. Cookie cutter conversations. But by introducing somebody's name, you are making that a very unique conversation into it. And you're also making sure that the other person knows that you're present. Yes. And I think it's really valuable. Now, I don't often forget well, I don't regularly remember names of people that I, I've only met once or twice, unfortunately. Um, but I remember conversations. And the reason I remember conversations is because I do not have cookie-cutter conversations. I will not repeat the same conversation 20 times. Because then, when I go back to speak to people, there, was, there will be no difference in our interaction. So if I do not remember somebody's name, I can say, oh... Um, sorry, I've forgotten your name, but remember we spoke about X, Y, and Z. Yes. And what that does is it at least demonstrates to the other person that you were present in the conversation. They don't, they might not have remembered your name either, but they would have remembered a unique conversation, one that stood out from the other ones. So I think that's really valuable. Yeah. I think the other thing to mention there is abuse. And what I mean that by that is, some very capable manipulators are very good at in, installing or introducing your name at the right point to gain control of a conversation. Um, and it's been taught, and you know, we've discussed this already. All of these superpowers can be used for good. Yes. <laughs> they can also be used for evil. Um, it has been taught in many spaces that by reintroducing somebody's name into the discussion, Afalabi, that you can gain power of the discussion. And it's very dangerous because it shows very uh, a very manipulative side of somebody, mm -hmm. but also it's it's false it, it, it it's false engagement, it's false relationship building because you're just applying a tool that you've used to manage a discussion rather than really kind of throwing yourself into a discussion where you're not in control and seeing what yes. comes out. Yes. 
isn't it beautiful? Oh, this sounds very poetic now. But yeah, beautiful is the word. Isn't it beautiful when you have those conversations where you feel, that was a really good conversation. I think when we have those, what we should think afterwards is, why is that not normal? <laughs> why don't I have those every day? <laughs> you know, and do people. you know what? This is the this is the bane of my life because people will tap me on the shoulder or people will say, you know what? Like you have like you're really deep. Or you yeah you you somebody's people have even said like, oh you like having like interesting conversations like that's a bad thing. Like, and I've always been confused about that. Like, why is that not normal? Isn't that a blessing that you can have, which doesn't cost you anything yeah. to be engaged and energized by a discussion? I guess if you find it hard work to speak or find it hard work to be interested in others, then you might find it difficult. But I've always been confused by the fact that people aren't willing or aren't interested in delving a little bit deeper below the surface. Yes. And maybe it's because people might feel vulnerable or uncomfortable in certain instances. However, I think that's the whole point. Mm. Mm. But yeah, you're absolutely right that it's it, it, those unique interactions are what it's all about. And that's why the name is so important because it puts a stamp on the conversation and says that this is the this is a conversation I have and will only have once. And the only person I have and will have it with is you. And I think that's a really strong statement. Yes. Wow. Step four. Now, this encompasses all of these six steps. Oh, my gosh. Be a good listener. Talk on it. Be a good listener encourage others to talk about themselves. Now, there are two parts to that, so we're going to split it because I don't want to do a disservice to Dale Carnegie's work here. Be a good listener. Now, what is a good listener? Now, in previous episodes, we've spoken about rhetoric. We've spoken about communication. And oftentimes, this is received and interpreted as the ability to speak well. But the flaw in that is that it ignores the understanding that if you are to speak well, it's because you've listened better. What you are saying is the output of what you've heard, and thus it can be received in the maximum effect. Why do people need to be good listeners? Because everyone's talking too much. That's really the situation. <laughs> Everyone is talking and everyone has an opinion. And if you walk into certain environments, everyone wants to be consulted. They want to have their say, even if the matter at hand has nothing to do with them. But why do they wish to be consulted? Because they wish to be valued. It boils down to that inherent desire for us as human beings to feel as if we are not just one of the seven billion people on earth, but we are Abiola. That's who I am. I am not one of, I am one. And I want you to show me that you're actually listening to what I'm saying. Now, there are so many ways of doing this. There's the um, empathetic listening, um, perpetuated by the school of Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits. Uh, you could be a passive listener, you could be an active listener. But the objective is to ensure that you are one, Pausing your stream of consciousness whilst that person is listening. Actually take time to record, are you listening or are you just watching their lips move and planning your next response? So actually pausing. Two, listening for what's not being said. Because much similar what Abby mentioned previously, there are many people who have so much that could be shared, but they don't share it because for a number of reasons, insecurities or feel of um, that they won't necessarily be valued if, if it was if it's not the right appropriate time. But if you can read in between the lines and then ask the right questions to encourage them to say more, then you are going to unearth a world of amazing information, an amazing which could change information which could change your life and that person's life. You are only a few people away from you solving the issue that is in your life right now. But how often are you listening or are you just telling people about it? 
or are you masking it and just working really hard, hoping that it's going to solve itself? Be a good listener. But then in terms of the second half, which is encourage others to talk about themselves, the, the questions which come out of you listening should be about honestly and genuinely encouraging them to build upon what they've already said and not positioning an opportunity for you to speak about your less, your last endeavor or success. Let, let, it, let it be about that person. Now, for those who are thinking, oh, I haven't got time for this, we need to realize that those who you admire are most likely doing this consciously or subconsciously. Then the number of people who have credited the school of Dale Carnegie, who, like Warren Buffett's got the, <laughs> um, got the certificate in his office that he went to as a teenager. These characteristics are not so that you can become the boss, quote unquote, but so you can ensure that you are adding value and thus other people can add value to you. Be a good listener. Wow, there's just so much in this. It's just, it hurts my head because it's so much. I don't even know where to start. Okay, Abby, get your thoughts together. Be a good communicator. Okay, so I think the first thing that I'll mention is my definition of what it means to be a good listener. A good listener doesn't listen to what you say, they listen to what you mean. And I think when you listen to what somebody means as opposed to what they say, you can pick a, a, a pick apart a lot of the underlying sentiments that aren't necessarily being explicitly shared. And why is that important? The reason why it's important is because we are terrible communicators. Everybody is. When we're emotional, when we're tired, when we're excited, the way we speak doesn't necessarily convey how we feel or what we mean so the art of a good listener is some is a good listener is able to actually take in what you've said and communicate it in a way that communicate it in a way back to you that articulates it as well or better than they have in their own instance um We've done this podcast, and one of the best compliments I received on this podcast was from Asia when she said after a discussion that she felt like I'd knew her her whole life because I was able to articulate the way that she felt in the time. And I can't think of a better compliment than that mm. for somebody who's trying to be an active listener. Um, and I think that's what we want to aspire to be. Because in my life, I can only think of three elite listeners. And I think about them all the time. <laughs> because I remember how they made me feel. And I also try to channel them when I'm dealing with difficult discussions. So I think taking that into consideration, understanding that as human beings, we're all poor communicators at times. And that our job as a listener is not to listen to what they've said, but to listen to what they mean. And Stephen Covey has got a great example about an interaction with his son um, that, that, that really illustrates this point. Uh, very briefly, his son said that he didn't want to go to school anymore um, because he was fed up with school and he hated school. And Stephen Covey uh, yeah. flipped and said, well, you know, you've got to go to school or otherwise you'll be a you know, uh, worthless, et cetera, et cetera. And then after, on, on reflection, he delved into it, or he dove into it in more detail and asked him a, a bunch of open-ended questions to understand how his son was feeling. And what he uncovered was that his son didn't hate school. His son was just very insecure about his performance academically. So listening to what someone means rather than listening to what someone says, I think is a serious <laughs> skill in your toolbox. Um, and the other thing that you mentioned about encouraging people to say more about themselves, most people don't think they're very interesting. So the art of somebody who is a good listener 
is to make you or make you understand how interesting you are. Now, there's one person who's a friend of both of us. Um, I'll mention his name. He's a guy called Yama. Um, and I don't know anybody who's better at making the person he's speaking to sound like the most important person in the world. Yeah. Because he actively encourages you to share more. And whenever you share a bit of information, he provides a genuine response to the information that you've provided. So powerful. Because what it does is it makes communication so much easier. And it also makes you feel like you're not being, what's the word? You're not being egotistical. You're not being um, self-important or self-obsessed by sharing more about yourself because you're sharing information that somebody finds valuable. So I'm going to stop there because there's so much I could share about this. Most people are not good listeners, unfortunately. Um, And when you come across a good listener, you will not forget them. So my encouragement is to you and to me, to everybody listening, try and be a good listener. Listen more. Just, just listen more. <laughs> you will learn a lot. Uh, tip five. Um, to preface this one, um, I, on occasions, teach rhetoric to 15 and 16 year olds um, to support them with their GCSEs. Where they have to write persuasively. And an analogy which I give them is that, prior to the analogy, I often ask them, how many times have you had a conversation or an argument and someone's told you that your opinion is stupid and that has just closed off the conversation? They could not influence you from that point onwards. You had like dug your heels and you were not going to be moved. So which many of them said, yeah, they've experienced this. Teenagers, when they when you think red is blue and they think red is green, they just tell each other to shut up and that's the end of the conversation. The, the analogy which I use to help them is that if you are going to effectively persuade someone, you've got to imagine it to be almost like a boxing match. Now, in any great boxing match, the first thing that you'll see is that the two boxers will come together and then they'll touch gloves. And that touching gloves is a, is a sign of respect. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement of the other person before they try to pulverize each other. Um, the good boxer then, the superior boxer then, will begin to jab to impose their ideas and they'll connect on a few occasions and that connection will lead to the other boxer feeling as if they need to retaliate. Now the good boxer, the superior boxer now, is going to acknowledge those retaliations and produce counterattacks, and they'll do this on two, three occasions throughout the consecutive rounds. They will then go back to their jab, stating their superior points and they'll lead up to their KO, their knockout. Now, why do I say all of this? Uh, Step five, according to Carnegie, was to talk in terms of other person's interests, other people's interests, talk about their interests. Now, step one of that analogy was touching gloves. Now, if you're going to effectively persuade someone else of something to influence them, and you already know that you've got a differing opinion, a new variant, a, a, a disruptive force idea, which is they need to brace themselves for. First, start with them and where they are. Acknowledge some kind of respect for a common belief, a common understanding. Touch gloves. Start with union. What do you agree on? What do you both believe is right first? before you impose your jab, before you impose your idea. By talking in terms of their interests and how this will be beneficial to them and how this is in alignment with who they are, their being, their prospects, their ideas, you are not only one showing respect and an understanding for who that person is, the prior research, but you are building that person up to, on their own right, decide whether your idea your interest is worth pursuing without leading to that point of frustration where you go straight into that KO and you realize that that person is just not phased. They're just not interested whatsoever because you haven't touched gloves. You haven't acknowledged the other person's interests. 
Adi. Brother, you will never know how much I love that analogy. <laughs> like this have I've got I'm grinning from ear to ear. That is an amazing analogy. Please listen to this a few times, ladies and gentlemen, because oh my gosh, that is fantastic. I want to kind of bring it into a couple of examples because I think that's just a, such a powerful example. Um, ladies, you want your partner to take the rubbish bins out and he's not taking the rubbish bins out. So you say, listen, Fred, I would like you to take the rubbish bins out because it makes me feel gross. Fred goes, I'm fine with the rubbish bins where they are. Take two. Um, Fred, please could you take the rubbish bins out? I'm not going to lie. When, you, when you're wearing that shirt and carrying those heavy rubbish bins to, 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 the, to the outside, I just love the way your arms just ripple. I love, I love the way you look when you're, you're lifting all those heavy bags and putting it in the bin. Fred goes, you, I heard, you know we got the sofa back. I need to move the sofa into position. Like, let me just move the sofa into the right position for you because I, I feel like it needs to be moved. As soon as you put it in the context of something that Fred cares about, then you've actually got it. You've, you've got something that can encourage now, people might say that this is manipulative in a sense, and I think it is if it's not genuine. I think if it's genuine, then you you should say it. But the, the whole point of that analogy is that we're trying to convey our messages into points that the other person cares about. Because ultimately, if you are asking something of somebody else, they need to be motivated to do it. Mm-hmm. Um and if you cannot feasibly identify a reason why the other person should care, then either you're dealing with somebody who maybe you shouldn't be dealing with, or you need to reevaluate your reasons. And I think that's the important thing there, which is you're not always right for making a request. If you can't make a justifiable reason why your listener should care, then maybe you need to reevaluate why it is that you're doing something. Yes. Now, I've, uh, I've, I've taught a lot in, in my career. I do a lot of training for young people. I also uh, have taught in schools. And I always, you're, you're a teacher, so you, you probably have, have perfected this. But I always start any lesson that I teach with an aim, an objective, and a reason why. Yeah. And the reason being is because if I haven't cemented why you should listen to this at the beginning of the discussion, then why should I expect you to pay attention? Yes. And it's the same within business. It's the same within relationships. If I cannot convey a solid, tangible reason why you should listen or you should carry out this action, you should expend energy, then why should I expect you to listen? I think it's so valuable and so important. You know, there's there's a there's an episode on presenting. That's for a future day. Mm. Because I'd definitely like you to dwell into that further. You, you're someone who I know has really, really reflected on the art of presenting, and not focusing on what is irrelevant, <laughs> but focusing on what people actually <laughs> care about. But I won't get into that now. We need to do another one on storytelling. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God, there's so many. The final step, and, and, and thank you for all those of you who've stuck with us here, and, and please know that these are strategies which, like I mentioned last week, we are relearning and revisiting because it's a continual growth, and there are times when you will fall short in some of them. Um, throughout the whole of last week, I was constantly thinking about, am I condemning? Am I condemning? Am I condemning? How can I frame this? Step six. Make the other person feel important and do it sincerely. Now, we have touched upon this before, but I want to focus on that that last clause, which is doing everything that we've just shared from Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, doing it all sincerely. We can tell when we are being sold to. 
we, we can feel it inherently. You don't have to be a genius or a degree holder to know when you're being sold to. It is, I, I learned very quickly that me slashing prices and advertising prices and trying to be DFS and always being on sale doesn't work. <laughs> it's not effective. What I need to do is to sincerely make the other person feel important. And how, and how do I do that? Why well, I, I do that through all of this, the strategies which have been stated previously, which is to, to show genuine interest in that person. To, to, to actually listen attentively, to remember who they are and what they represent, what they stand for, to never assume that I completely get them and to continue to delve into understanding that person even further and appreciating that that person could bring about so much value for themselves, but for all of us as well. And I am almost, it's, it's almost a duty of mine, if I've chosen to be in interaction with that person, to help them to do that. I must talk in terms of their their interests, but I must at all points make them feel as if that they are a, an important part of this journey in line with their role. And what do I mean by that? You could have, talking about business, you could have um, an organisation now which has 120 people um, in, in different levels of responsibility and the 100 and 18th, 19th, and 120th employee were all cleaners because you've reached that point now where you want your other employees not to have to actually tidy up after themselves every single night. So you're, you're employing cleaners full time. How are you going to convey the importance of the role the cleaners play to those cleaners and to everyone else? You could do what most people do, which is just to state, well, that's their job. They just need to get on and do it. But if you, as the leader, um, that boss lady, boss man that you wanted to be when you were a teenager, but you've grown to be that actual reflective leader, want to create an environment where reciprocity is part of the culture, where embodying these characteristics of genuinely trying to be better as a person and as a server, as a producer, then you will openly showcase the importance of that person to them and in front of other people. It goes to the old adage of praising public or looking private. Let people see that you value it. Let people see that they are important. And you'll be surprised how well they will polish things which don't need to be polished. There are instances where I've completely neglected this in the past, neglected it in terms of not even thought about it. And there are other instances where I've been intentional with it and I've been surprised at the kind of privileges that I've got. That kid who gets extra lunches in school has learned this. He's made that dinner lady feel very, very important. He's nine years old. Well done. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. Yeah. That 30-year-old who has done the same thing with that cleaner who's come in and has actually thanked that cleaner genuinely every single time that they're emptying his or her bin and has actually started a conversation and, and, and now has listened to that cleaner speak about how she's so proud of her son who's now going to university and actually asks uh, every few weeks, so how, how's your son doing? You'll be surprised how your room starts smelling and how they're no longer actually keeping back the good products that they didn't even pay for <laughs> away from your room. Make people feel important and do it sincerely for them, not for what you can get out of it, but just to make them feel happier about their own existence. Because life is hard. Suffering is inevitable. And we have that power in terms of relational beings to make one another's lives a little bit better. I mean. There's not much to add to that. I think the only thing that I can add which wouldn't just be treading over ground that you've already covered is that when you make some people feel important they may not thank you for it in actual mm. fact they may be very upset with you for making them feel important and that's their own issue and no I won't go into that because there are many people for whatever reason who do not feel worthy of being important who do not feel like their voices should be heard who do not feel like they have anything of value to say so when you do make some people feel important, you will also potentially make them feel very uncomfortable. 
But what you won't do is make yourself a less respectable or less likable person in their eyes. There are many people who over the years have made feel very uncomfortable because of the amount of attention I've given them. Um, And what, what I find interesting is even when I'm being particularly harsh on them, they do not disappear. They always come back to engage mm. and they always come back for more discussion because they know that to at least one person, their opinion is valuable, even if he doesn't agree. And even if he's got something to say, he, his view on what they have to say, his view on who they are is important. Um, I think it's the art of being a good mentor. I think it's the art of being a good partner both in business and in relationship. And I think it's the, the art of being a good good family member. Your voice is important, whether you like it or not. The final thing I will say to all of this is, I am the first listener to Expensive Lessons because I get to listen to it live. And I enjoy it for the fact that I... I can learn so much, so, so much in such a short period of time. Who are you listening to attentively and why? And it might not be that every single person requires you to listen to them attentively because the exchanges you're having with them are so brief. (laughs) But there are individuals who we should all be listening to attentively because they play crucial roles within our lives. And we have an amazing role within theirs. So I really do hope that you've enjoyed this episode because I have, um, I I definitely feel blessed to be part of it. This has been another episode of Expensive Lessons where company directors share with you the fruit of their labor, the lessons that they've learned over years of trying to be better as business leaders but also as individuals as people as human beings and really hope that you've gained some useful insight from this discussion and we hope you join us next week where we'll be delving into communication part three so have a fantastic week speak to you soon take care everyone